0: Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete.
1: Warp me. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 109, the penultimate season one episode, Crisis Point comes to you now via rudimentary plasma filter.
0: And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode. Pete, though the USS Cerritos might only have one episode left this season, that means we are less than two weeks out from Discovery uh, Season 3. And a reminder, of course, that Seasons 1 and 2, our podcasts for them are on FantasticGeek.com and Apple Podcasts. Basically, however you're listening to this, you can probably get those disco episodes right now.
1: You've been re-watching, I've been re-watching. We have season one over the air on CBS. They aired episode two, Battle of the Binary Stars, the other night. So all part of the gear up. But here, Matt, hard to believe we've got only one episode left in season one of the renewed Lower Decks.
0: Indeed. I mean, this whole time that uh, Lower Decks has been broadcast, they've been working on season two, so uh, rumors of its cancellation uh, have been premature to say the least, especially in the world of of animation where essentially you're in constant production if you want to. So uh, Pete, we have one to go, we have this one to talk about now, I'm excited for the bright and shiny future of Star Trek. With that, let's head to our Ready Rundown.
1: Program complete, enter when ready.
0: Mariner is toppling a rat man statue to free the lizard people. Remember them? TNG season one. But as Captain Freeman beams down, this is the wrong kind of freedom. There's mother-daughter conflict, and Mariner's being sent to therapy. Dr. Miglimo and his food metaphors. The doc is a chill bird-type guy. Remember them? TAS season one. And he recommends paella. Later, the LD crew is using the holodeck, and Boims wants to use it to pre interview for his Captain Interview leadership session coming up. He's nicely approximated the bridge crew. Mariner takes notes that this is an accurate simulation and makes some major changes to the program and script. Q, a Mariner production of Crisis Point Rise of Vindicta. Q, TNG Zoomy credits with TWOK like music. In the movie, it's the captain's birthday, and she's using a hydro scoot with the bridge crew, and Boimler's crashing the party. Back on the ship, they're heading out to investigate a mysterious Starfleet imposter. Cue the loving shuttle approach to the ship. Remember TMP and TWOK, But now it's got lens flares like sto 9 ST, and STID. This goes on for some time. On the lens flare bridge, they're ready to take this puppy off its leash. At Idlocana 4, they find, wait, a decloaking Klingon ship with the villain played by Mariner. It's Vendicta and her henchmen, Tendi, the savage warrior queen uh, from Pirates, Bionic 5, the half-man, half-robot, and Shempo, the holodeck character meant to be played by Boimler. Shempo is quickly disrupted away. Vendicta starts quoting The Tempest, but it's a recording, allowing Vendicta, Tendi, and... Bionic 5, to get onto the Cerritos. Quickly, Rutherford is off to talk to Hollow Billups, and Orion stereotypes are being advanced by all. Hollow Ransom gets hit and dies before he tells Boimler about Freeman's cookie allergy. Rutherford gets his FaceTime with Billups and so looks up to him. In the bar lounge, mm. Mariner and Tendi take out more Hollow crew, and Tendy exits. Enough Orion stereotypes. On the bridge, it's showdown time between Daughter and Hollow Mother, with Mariner feeling like she's always treated like the bad guy. She promptly destroys her ship, sending the Cerritos hurtling into the planet like a bad guy. Post-crash, Freeman calls for a total evac, while Rutherford tells Hollow Billups about beaming trickery. Everyone's fine. Captain and villain fight until the entry of Hollow Mariner, a Boimler creation. Evil Mariner and Good Mariner fight, just like her internal conflict. However, good Mariner says this whole fight is a delay for the self-destruct timer. Oh, and Mom cares about you. Therapy works. Later at the real bar, Mariner's feeling better, and Rutherford wishes he could talk more to the real Billups. Mariner apologizes to Tendi, and all's well, even with Mariner apologizing to Captain Freeman. This takes Freeman to the counselor, but he won't share. It'd be a pickle, you pineapple. Boimler heads back to the hollow movie. Hollow Freeman is eulogizing Hollow Mariner, her daughter. That's right, her daughter all along, part of a deep secret. It freaks Boimler out, leading to the worst interview ever, one compromise of grunts and Mariner's hot or nasty and screaming. As the post-credit kinda scene happens, Hollow Vindicta rises again, only to be shot by Hollow Da Vinci. Cue signature credits. Remember them, just like T-U-C, to end the episode. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, with that incoming threat analysis, let's talk about that great threat I'm talking about, the rat men.
1: Anybody who wants to eat the lisping uh, lizards who just want to bask is worthy of villainy.
0: I kind of always thought they were more like dog people versus rat people, so initially (laughs) I had to go back and tweak my notes, but Pete star trek called them rat people i guess i'll just go with it um let's add to that list holodeck beckett the good beckett somehow also a threat what's going on
1: well topsy-turvy in the holodeck here and that boimler has used private logs more on that in a bit to program everyone uh accurately and that vindicta faces the holodeck version of herself in clear opposition.
0: I know I said, you know, oh, it's mirroring the internal, internal conflict, but good job on coming with, coming up with a great story way to Uh literally have the internal conflict spill out to the, to the external. Um, and Pete, we all really enjoy Mariner as a character. And I think that within the fight of the scene here, the story's not, confusing or you know too complex to follow by any stretch of the imagination but i think our hearts go with hollow mariner and you it's kind of like oh that's the real one expressing the real sentiments like work hard and don't be a goofball no wait but that's actually the fake one you know so i think that the the show has wrapped itself in you know the, the holodeck fantasy or the impossible is possible but it gets us this very real and as mariner says therapeutic conversation
1: you can see the genesis of this episode from the writer's room let's ape the the movie style you know uh where uh, star trek leapt from your small screen to your big screen and the traditions that have come with that but then all right so that's the gimmick but what's the story ah the story is that it's really Uh, a different type of therapy for the protagonist instead of, you know, you can't really have a Star Trek episode that would just be a character sitting in the uh, staff counselor's office for 22 minutes, for 44 minutes without breaking away in some way. And it's really cleverly done and to flip the idea of an antagonist and make it the good version, if you will, of our protagonist who is acting like a villain is again just very smartly done.
0: Yeah, and you you use the word gimmick, and I don't think you're using it in a pejorative sense. No. but I think that a lot of the humor in this episode and in the series in general, it's not necessarily, you know, set up punchline, haha. Lucy needs to eat more chocolates because there's more chocolates coming down the thing. It's kind of more of that ironic tongue in cheek, you know, all the references, the references overfloweth. We all enjoy a good shuttle goes to the ship or ship leaves space dock kind of thing. The show here in its own pacing is able to just make it impressive, then milk it, then milk it more. I know there was somebody on Twitter who's like, now I'm back to not laughing at these episodes. I mean, the show is funny. I don't know that it's humorous. You know, this is not this is not Kramer walks through and you say, oh, crazy things are going to happen. It's kind of more of that, you know, I get to smile and chuckle, particularly in an episode that ultimately is about this internal conflict. It's been the things that we've been talking about all all season uh, kind of come to a front here with the villain of Holodeck Beckett Mariner.
1: I mean, can we include the person who's not laughing at this episode as a villain, Matt? Because all I know is when, you know, you watch it for a couple seconds, maybe a minute, and then because it's seamless, you're suddenly like, wow, all right, they're purposely overdoing the lens flare. That's a wink. Okay. Oh, my God. They're doing the Wrath of Khan uh, uh, credits. And much of the music and then weaving in their own theme. Like I'm laughing out loud. I'm sorry. You are not laughing out loud.
0: And, and even if all the jokes aren't laugh out loud, I mean, I think, you know, next generation wharf in a mud bath with, as I recall, a naked Loxana Troy, you know, like that was not ha funny, but that was the same kind of humor where it's like a bonkers situation. That's rather the opposite of I am space navigator. And I can tell you, there's a there's a space submarine out there. We need to do something about it. Pete, as we set our long-range sensors towards theories, let's maybe look at the look at the back sensors for a second. All season there's been discussions on the podcast. You know, there's increasing but quiet evidence that nobody knows about the mother-daughter connection. What's the show gonna do with it? um what is the nature of this uh relationship why is mariner being kept on board if things are so fraught and if she's such a terrible officer and here we are in this episode addressing them greatly and then emotionally propelling us to next week
1: yeah that it spills over which is the right call and the the long-term storytelling of it and i like that it had a previously been unclear were like they gotta know right Ransom's gotta know when they're giving um, Beckett all the jobs she's not gonna want but yeah that it's it's going to come to fruition uh, it is coming to fruition now with Boimler knowing and of course he can't keep a secret
0: and I will be interested to see um, to see next week I mean you know I always turn it off for the preview but it was kind of tough. With the way this episode ends with kind of the the, the action, you know, the action post credit scene, even though it's not post-credits, uh, with the return of Da Vinci, um, I saw enough to have to see, you know, Boimler spills the beans to Mariner. You don't
1: need to explain uh, the natural curiosity of a viewer, Matt, couched in your anti-spoiler rhetoric.
0: <laughs> Bottom line being, I'm curious, you know, ha- having just seen that one little sliver, I'm curious to see you know does everybody know by the end of the episode is the whole question keeping the secret and now Boimler who you know we all got a chuckle as you know worst interview ever and clearly he did not prepare for it I think maybe you know if you let it marinate for for a little bit you say oh actually I feel bad for Boimler because you know do I take the holodeck literally that you know the captain would kill whoever found out this secret (laughs) I mean I'll, I'll give some artistic license to to the movie script but you know clearly this is a secret he can he can rationally he in the real world again you know these are real prime universe stories they're just being told in an animated way um he can be super concerned about you know ticking off the captain and this having a major career impact let alone impacting his friend there's all sorts of questions there's all sorts of drama can boimler keep it does the fact that he keeps it propel him to getting that second pip or, you know, you know what, Boimler, you're okay. Even though you, you did terrible in that interview, there's a bunch of ways it could go.
1: And it further extends the dramatic tension of the psychiatric storyline here. So now it flips to his perspective, bearing this secret, whereas uh, just Beckett and Captain Freeman had before.
0: Yeah, I mean it it's exactly what I think we have learned to expect out of this show, which is it's dramatically driven, not comedically driven, it's story driven, not gimmick driven. It just gets delivered to us in a comedic gimmicky way, and again, no pejorative on the word gimmick there. Uh, we care about these characters. They've they've been the underdogs from the first episode. That's the nature of having this, you know, lower decks, ensigns only kind of thing. Um, and you know, I have to wonder, are we gonna get more answers about about Mariner? You know, particularly we've talked about her going up and down the ranks, we've talked about her her, you know, lengthy past, time aboard the keto, things like that. Uh, there's so much kind of dramatic, dramatic space for it that you know it'll be interesting to see where they go with it
1: but it's the 80s dude we don't have psychiatric problems
0: not not when you have paella or <laughs> pills or pete i remember watching crocodile dundee and being very confused by the the powder they were using at the party <laughs> um I, I hope it's not that kind of 80s um because c- you know what they've overcome those things in in the 23rd century um pete kind of a basic theory question for you but one that i think is very uh sound after coming off of this episode we've settled into you know over the course of the first eight episodes we've settled into episodes in that traditional 22 23 minute range blew me away when i pressed play uh for 109 here that we had a 27 minuter, and as i was taking notes i'm like these notes are longer than usual oh right Yeah, it was only five more minutes, but kind of percentage-wise, it was a huge increase. Do we get a 30-minute or close to 30-minute episode for the finale? Do we dare for a 35 or a 40-minute?
1: That I truly don't know, but I love that they kind of supersized this episode in keeping with the theme here of a movie on the holodeck. So they're showing you that they can play around with the runtime. I mean, listen... You and I, going back to Discovery Season 1, talking about runtimes. Oh, this is a 38-minute episode? Oh, Okay, kind of lean. But they've also extended time. You look at some of the runtimes on the Picard episodes into the deep 50 minutes. So the streamers being able to play around with this, then less so shoehorned into this will be 22 minutes, this will be 44 minutes, and nowhere else shall it go.
0: Yeah, in my Discovery Season 1 rewatch, uh, I definitely I definitely uh, gagged a bit, you know, kind of getting to that 110, 111 area. Um, Vaulting Ambition, which is a great episode, you know, there's literally two minutes of, two and a half minutes, three minutes, something like that, of recap then straight into the credits and then there's 60 seconds of credits at the end so it really literally is like a 38 minute episode um which is closer to a half hour than it is an hour you know but ultimately you know would let me it this way pete would this episode of uh, of lower decks would it have been better with two more minutes of stuff that was cut because it was unfunny slow lame didn't make sense etc you know, we'll never know. I don't know that that's out there. They might have they might have run with the the first draft that they wrote. And it was great the entire time. But same thing. Deliver me the best episode possible. And if stuff needs to be cut along the way, so be it. Flip side is, Pete, I'm still – I'm going to have my own vaulting ambition for next week. I'm going to hope that, you know, even with credits, even with uh, opening title sequence, I'm going to hope for a 30-minute Lower Decks.
1: I mean, it's a good problem to have in that we want more Star Trek. Uh, In this run, Matt, nine weeks into a uh, 23-consecutive-week Star Trek voyage that we're on, Uh, yeah, uh, good problems to have.
0: Well, Pete, I would like to now press the program go button in the holodeck to make you give us more theories.
1: Dr. Miglimo here, played by official Star Trek podcast co-host Paul F. Tompkins great get for this cameo the office okay I mean we'd seen Troy's office to give it the feel of a counselor's office to make it his own with physical books and the coffee table and the couch uh, really hoping we see a return of Dr. Miglamo at some point
0: yeah, and I mean, even down to the costume, because uh, there's initially this moment where you know we're obviously used to seeing uniforms, and then I'm sure we all had the mental discussion where it's like, oh, he's he's just very casual. Oh, wait, he's got the badge on. Oh, right, counselors can can do the more casual uh, outfit there. Um, I don't know. It was just a ton of fun to have him as a character there. I have to admit, I had not picked up on Paul F. Tompkins' voice, but. To just to have the bird species, which, side note, Memory Alpha is not necessarily linking it to the same species of the bird guy from yesteryear in the animated series, which I think is probably lame, Pete. I mean, I, I welcome all avian humanoids, regardless of their feather color, okay? There, there's not a difference to me. Um, but great character, great aesthetic. I'm even down to the reading glasses. I, yes, I know Kirk had it and the whole what was it uh retinox five or was, yes. was it just retinox oh,
1: man i'm allergic to retinox
0: there you go um but yeah just it's another example of how this show the 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 universe of animated lower deck star trek is bigger than these episodes and that's that's great and honestly that's when star trek feels at its best or it's not just Another day that we're trapped on the ship and we can't leave because of budget, it's when you really have that sense of the real universe out there or the real Trek universe, you know.
1: And that's where reaching for Da Vinci from Voyager, yes, earlier this season they referenced, you know, all the staple holodeck programs but it's great that these are used universally throughout the fleet and on since Voyager has returned and that Da Vinci isn't just you know again not that a historical uh, cultural figure is a creation of Captain Janeway uh, but that is in wide use in other starships
0: and you know Pete I'm glad you mentioned the Da Vinci character here, uh, because certainly my recap, I was like, not quite sure how to fit him in because he's minor in the beginning, but then it's a callback at the end. But ultimately it's yet another reference for these historical people, which is a fun reference as well.
1: And that he's skeet shooting with them. And that comes back around when he blasts hologram Vindicta, uh, maybe killing her off for good. I, I, you know, we've had Badgie, which I think we all imagine is going to recur. I have to imagine we've created a nemesis here. Glitch in the holodeck, that's not a trope. And Vindicta gets a hollow admitter, and, uh, you know, she's got to face herself at some point. Could be a really fun season two story.
0: Particularly, how about second half of season two when things are fine between Marin and her mother and the secret right. is out and the wounds have healed and that's kind of a past problem brought back to the forefront again. It could, be, uh, it could be a fun story.
1: Point of order, Matt. How is Boimler able to construct a hologram from the private logs of Starfleet officers?
0: Yeah, I think... Um, I think there's two ways you could cut it. One is, it's probably just a weak moment in the story. It's a story conceit that makes The Secret possible. And if that's your lima bean that you have to have story-wise to make everything else possible, so be it. Flip side is, you you know, they're they're in such a principled culture. Not just that of the Earth, Paradise, but Starfleet. Could... Could I believe the scenario where personal logs are not, um, are not you know, password protected or not kept under computer lock and key, that they're just an available file on the shared Google Drive, um, but everybody knows not to touch them because that's, that's the kind thing to do, that's a mature thing to do. And Boimler as a junior officer maybe is acting a little uh, impulsive or, or doesn't think that you'd put massive secrets in a personal log. So, so if that's the answer, I'll I'll go for it. Um, I don't love it as an answer, but I think that might be... That's the best one I can come up with. How about that?
1: That Boimler has increasingly used the abbreviation for um, Captain Freeman as Cap'n, and it, it continues to become a thing, is a great uh, nod as well.
0: It is, and it's it's simultaneously adorable and a little cloying which i think is meant to be the point you know boimler is trying too hard but i don't know if ensign kirk tried this hard or harder i mean ensign kirk cheated on the thing and then you know cheated on the the kobayashi maru test uh and then got an award for it so like you know, he was immediately once he was you know given the rank of ensign. He was immediately a guy with a reputation. Well, now let me keep pushing the envelope. Let me keep you know trying to distinguish myself. Um, and we've seen very clearly with this lower decks, and I didn't mean that lower case, but with this lower decks crew, where they do want to distinguish themselves. They do want to get out of the bunk beds. They do want to get out of you know mopping and cleaning and things like that, and get to the real job of Starfleet. So it's believable, but it's also not always authentic, which is the issue.
1: The balance that this episode strikes between loving homage and cheeky homage, I'll explain the difference here. So the Wrath of Khan style credits, the overdone flyby being a mix of of both there, the signature credits at the end right down to Boimler with a Starfleet delta dotting his eye and then things like the lighting and the uh the trope of the crew out on a lake uh riding uh what they call hydro scooters you know uh jet skis that it's a birthday but it's also uh exploration i mean these are things you're just changing the specifics they would fit in any of the films.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously the whole construct of the movie within the episode is meant to play with all of that. And I think it's indicative of lower decks as a whole where there continue to be these references. And I think part of what is so pleasing about the show is that it is returning to that familiar where for better or worse and and largely for better, We've had the, the live action Kurtzman era stuff say, you know, no, new era in TV, new way to do things. Let's let's head towards that. Otherwise, we're just doing, you know, kind of expensive fan films um, here. They're able to get away with it because it's animation or because it's more forgiving or, or because they've gotten the message that we wouldn't mind a little stuff that looks back.
1: I want more of winger Bingston jr. He of the one man show in the moist vessel episode and here crushed to death. Hey, loved your one man show splat.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing how in nine 22 minute segments or so there've been those background characters, you know, I mean, you think of how many of those were there next generation, you know, Mr. Mott comes to mind. That's kind of it maybe ensign Rowe, although that was by design it wasn't a background character that kind of you know hung around and oh it's 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 our norm in cheers it's our you know it's our cliff who was more the background person who got brought to the forefront but pete that's for another paramount tv podcast um it's nice to have these these familiar faces circle back
1: what is wrong with poor billups
0: I know he has trouble talking to women that was said in the first episode. Again, I feel like Billups is a character who really in terms of story function has not done much more than be another bridge officer. And as chief engineer is also found in engineering to say, you know, increase the coolant manifold pressure and things like that, the chief engineer stuff. But, one reference of, oh, he can't talk to women. All right, that's a ha-ha, or that's, you know, uh, that's how all we peons talk about our bosses. You know, oh, they're human, they can't do this. He's just sitting there alone, sipping his soup. There's evidence that, you know, he loves engineering and might want to just hang out, I, not necessarily romantically, although I wouldn't necessarily rule that out, but hang I out with somebody. I think
1: it's more of a bromance than it is meant to say, all right, is, is Rutherford... Uh, is Billups, are they gay? Uh,
0: I, I would certainly agree. But, I mean, ultimately, he just wishes he could be, or, or the, the holodeck version of him, however truthful that might be, just wishes he could just be left alone to, to, to be an engineer all the time and do his own thing. It, it paints this picture of a sad and lonely man. And, again, I didn't know I was going to get that in my, you know, in my yuck, yuck Star Trek cartoon, but I'm better for it.
1: For pretty much the run of this show, we've speculated with Tendi, okay, including an Orion officer in Starfleet we've never seen, okay, going so completely against the type whenever we've seen Orions, and here to confront that, I mean, I say finally, nine episodes in is not finally, but here to confront it, and come on, Matt, they haven't been into theft in over five years
0: yeah i think it's it's a very smart way for the show to have its cake and eat it too in that look star trek in general doesn't mind uh rolling with fictional species stereotypes Uh, klingons are always aggressive klingon poetry is always aggressive klingon mating involves the throwing of furniture uh and, and so forth so you know Nobody's ever going to take take off marks to say, oh, look, it's another Romulan stereotype of their secretive and uh, xenophobic. Uh, but I think you also get you get a little reminder here. Hey, in general, in practice, let's not be so stereotyped, stereotyping people. Uh, let's judge Tendy on her merits as a young officer, not her lineage and her people, uh, even though the lineage of her people is what we always expected it to be.
1: There's not as many over the top gags within the movie constraint, but the uh, the one I appreciated the most after the movie epic crash uh, with the with the ship the ship only crashes in movies. Um, to have the warning the ship has crashed be a thing is <laughs> just chef's kiss.
0: I mean, some hardworking work, uh, programmer for the Starfleet computer system, the Starfleet Siri, um, is, is prepared for every eventuality, including, hey, what if the people don't know that their ship has crashed? <laughs>
1: um, the whole thing with the fight in the bar, Shaq's referencing the Pa Wraiths, The Borg head, explosive, talking to him, and then part of his ear and the earring is also an inspired segment.
0: It is, and you know what? Extra points added for the use of the Borg head first as a shield and then Mm -hmm. as a bomb. Um, Probably there's a slight breakdown in quote unquote, real world logic, you know, real world of, of Star Trek, um, in terms of how that could be and how the one could be quickly reprogrammed to the other. But you know, as, as Rutherford says in another scene, in another context, it's the movie. You don't need to explain some of this stuff. We're in the holodeck. You can have the Borg head be the portable shield and a bomb at the same time. And it just works.
1: I continue to stand like the kids say, Matt, Dr. Tana, Who even when uh, she's far away from the main narrative of this episode gets the best line?
0: (laughs) Uh, She does, and Pete, I'm increasingly noticing that I think that when they, I think that when the voice actors record these episodes, they say the words and then the beep is put on there because oh, I
1: I have no doubt the word was said.
0: Yeah, (laughs) because you got a word
1: was given.
0: You, you got a little of the first letter and a little of the last letter uh, th- that wasn't quite beeped out. Um, she's just a super fun character. And Pete, we live in times where cartoon characters on the streaming Star Trek network using bleeped curses, that's the least of our worries. So I say bring it on.
1: I want a Dear Doctor style Dr. Tana episode. I'll even take Matt because I know it would be hysterical a uh, Beverly Crusher Irish ghost story, but make it Dr. Tanas.
0: <laughs> that could be fun. Or, you know, uh, you're talking about Beverly Crusher episodes, the one where she's in the copy of the ship and the the bubble is collapsing. That
1: could be awesome as well. I mean, that they can play around with these. Yeah, I just I did not ever think I would. App- I'm a dog person. And then I would appreciate this crusty cat uh, doctor lady character like i do it's it's well written it's funny
0: oh she's a ton of fun with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open, sir. pete we start as we so often do with our twitter poll pete this one a rare outcome let me say uh the choices one pip computer arch zero percent two pips pirate party zero percent three pips widescreen wowie 24 percent and four pips uh best low decks episode yet question mark exclamation point 76 percent. so all the votes in the three to four range even with my uh, pete i must admit somewhat controversial claim uh best ld episode yet if you wanted to give it the four you had to commit to it being possibly the best one
1: and i think again the the cream rising to the top people are appreciating this show
0: uh, we heard from some people on Twitter, starting with, uh, again, fastest gun in the West. Makes me wonder, Pete, if maybe he is a, an old-timey, an ancient West hologram gunman. I don't know, but James, that's at Big <laughs> Uh Right now, this is my favorite all-time episode of Trek. I really needed it. Smart, funny, crazy, fast. It spoofs the Trek universe and gives it the highest praise at the same time. I want holodeck therapy now. Warp me. Uh, We also heard from James Stifler, uh, that's at uh, Livy, L-Y-V-E underscore wire, uh, who said, best one yet. It was literally all over the place, and it made me realize something. As much as the Orville is Seth MacFarlane's love letter to Star Trek, Lower Decks is Star Trek's love letter to Seth MacFarlane. This show is family guy crazy. Uh, We heard from JT Atkins, it's at JTA is me. Great episode it would have been entirely worth the Star Trek Wrath of Khan space dock fly around, brilliantly accompanied by an amazing send-up of my all-time favorite James Horner score, enhanced by J.J. Abrams lens flares. Hashtag Lower Decks has been and always shall be, my friend. But then the rest of the episode was tremendous as well. Thanks. Pete, two more tweets here. Uh, James Killen had replied to JT Atkins. Pete, it's the Twitter crossover we've been hoping for. (laughs) Uh, He said the space dock fly around was off the charts fun. Uh, Then lastly, from Brett Williams, that's at BWDESMO. He said, I legit loved it. Can't wait to hear your recap. Brett, now you're hearing us after the recap. It's all connected. It is. So, Pete, we had two of the great Star Trek titans mentioned here in seth MacFarlane and star trek as a whole let's add to it the man the myth the legend admiral fred from the netherlands hello matt and pete and all listeners to fantastic geek this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for star trek lower decks season one episode nine
1: i don't need therapy okay that was all for now greetings all the best fred from the Netherlands. Pete,
0: Fred, this week, he is the Lower Decks of Star Trek. Let me tell you why, Pete. Fred's feedback there, a little shorter than usual. Lower Decks episodes, shorter than your average hour-long Star Trek offering. Both cases leave us wanting more.
1: Always. Well, Matt, this episode and all the episodes of Fantastic Geek brought to you by people like Fred and other patrons of patreon.com slash fantastic geek
0: indeed we are so proud to be listener supported and so proud that particularly this time of year as some of those annual bills come in that uh that we have those listeners who can help us out along the way so thank you to one and all who've gone to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and helped support our little ship
1: Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. Can't contribute this month? Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds. Leave us a review. Takes a little longer, but all are appreciated. Pete, let's keep
0: the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you to share their predictions with old spoiler Pete ahead of the season finale next week?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Peter, K E T E L A 11,604 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: And while I'm personally on Twitter, looking back, lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more.
1: Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word, like it today.
0: Well, Pete, barring any out-of-the-blue Star Trek news, we will be back next Saturday to talk the Season 1 finale of Lower Decks. Pete also, coming up at some point in the next 10 days or so, uh, will be previewing Season 3 of Discovery, while also post-viewing the entire first season of Lower Decks. So plenty of Star Trek on the old space ra- radar in the next two weeks. But for now, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word.
1: I was shampoo.